Welcome to Animals Today, your home for serious talk about animals. I'm Dr. Lori Kirshner. I want to start today's show by sharing my thoughts about the recent zoo tragedy in Cincinnati. As everyone knows, a few weeks ago, a three-year-old boy made his way into a gorilla exhibit at the Cincinnati Zoo, which ultimately led to one gorilla being shot and killed in order to save the life of the boy. I have to say, the amount of coverage and the public interest in this incident has been very gratifying to me because I believe it demonstrates that people are interested in the lives of non-human animals, ethical issues related to zoos, and animals in captivity in general. Also, of course, it's just a rare and newsworthy story when a child falls into an animal enclosure like this. You know, after I learned the facts, my initial reaction was that the child's mother, who was with him, and the zoo shared equal responsibility for the boy getting into the enclosure. But my thoughts have changed, as I will explain in a moment. First, I want to address some of the viewpoints expressed by people about the killing of this beautiful gorilla, a 450-pound silverback male named Harambi, who was killed with one shot to ensure the safety of the boy. Many people are shouting and arguing that in this situation, as it unfolded, with the gorilla having moved the boy from the moat and in close contact with him for about 10 minutes, with the onlookers screaming in horror and with the gorilla becoming more and more agitated, that the boy was not in danger and that the gorilla might have been coaxed to leave the boy alone and go back into his cage, or perhaps that he could have been tranquilized. Truly, as saddened and horrified I am that the gorilla was shot, I do believe it was the proper thing to do at that time. Tranquilizers take a while to take effect, and animals frequently go through a period of agitation before they become sedated. Trying to persuade the gorilla to leave the child alone would have been extremely risky simply because Harambi's behavior is unpredictable, just like any wild animal. The huge animal could have killed the boy in an instant at any time. One particularly, and I will just say it, stupid article was written by Matt Walsh and published on The Blaze. Walsh argues that people who express sympathy for the lost life of the gorilla were misguided at best and that instead everyone should be more troubled with the high rate of human abortions performed around the world. He says, and I quote, one abortion is a greater tragedy than the extinction of entire species of animal. And a million dead kittens or 100,000 butchered elephants do not even come close to matching the horror of one slaughtered baby. He goes on to say that if you cannot see it that way, you are a confused and morally corrupt person. Whatever your views are about human abortion might be, in my humble opinion, Bringing that topic into this discussion is just ridiculous and a sure sign of a morally corrupt author. One other little trick Mr. Walsh employs in this article is choosing the nuttiest posted comments, like calling for the extinction of humanity so other animals could live in peace, portraying them as mainstream beliefs, and then shooting them down. So unfortunately, I think that given the situation at the time, where the child might get seriously injured or killed at any second, the zoo officials chose the least bad option and shot the gorilla, killing him instantly and presumably painlessly. To me, the two most important issues are, 
who or what is responsible for the situation occurring in the first place, and should zoos exist at all, which in my mind is the much more important question. And let me briefly state here that I believe zoos should not exist because they are virtual prison cells for wild animals created for the amusement of people. They also do not educate visitors in a meaningful way that would benefit animals, and their claims about being agents of conservation are almost uniformly false and deceptive. I'm sure you're going to hear more from me on this topic on upcoming shows. And by the way, I'm a huge advocate of wildlife sanctuaries, which rescue injured and abandoned animals and either rehabilitate them for release back in the wild or provide natural, safe living conditions for the rest of their lives. So who is responsible for this child falling into this exhibit? Well, as I stated earlier, initially I thought the child's parent and the zoo were equally at fault. But I have to tell you, now after learning the details, I hold the Cincinnati Zoo, the AZA, which is the Association of Zoos and Aquariums, which accredits zoos, and the USDA, which inspects zoos, jointly responsible, with the mother slightly at fault for not controlling her son. The three-year-old boy climbed over a three-foot-tall barrier and got through four feet of bushes. Now, on the other side of the bushes was a 15-foot drop to a protective moat. Harambi climbed down into the moat and brought the child up back onto dry land, and Harambi was then shot. Take a step back and ask yourself, how can a mere three-foot-tall wall and some bushes be considered a sufficient barrier to prevent children from doing exactly what this three-year-old kid did. That's the first rule in creating zoo enclosures, right? Keep your customers from getting hurt or killed. Keep the wild animals and the people separated. So why does a three-foot wall and a four-foot wide line of bushes considered perfectly safe by the zoo, the AZA, and the USDA? I believe the answer is simply that it's an attempt to make the animal viewing experience as unobtrusive as possible and to maximize the entertainment value. And bars, fences, and even glass barriers are not employed. It's like no one who is involved in this day-to-day thinks clearly about what can really happen anymore. Now, the mother even knowing that her child is an active three-year-old, I think has a reasonable expectation that the zoo will provide a child-proof, if you will, enclosure that the kids would not be able to get themselves into a dangerous situation. And even though the mother has been widely criticized, and yes, we can blame her for allowing the kid to escape her supervision and end up in the moat. But you know what? She's not the worst actor in this tragedy, in my opinion. And I just read that the mother will not be prosecuted for child endangerment, which I suppose is is appropriate. Now, where does that leave us? And where does that leave me? Well, I'm just so sad and angry at the same time that this beautiful silverback gorilla, Harambi, is gone. It is terribly upsetting that this majestic, sentient being, who, by the way, did nothing wrong, right, was killed. He was forced to be on display so visitors could be entertained and the zoo could profit. And yes, I am terribly distressed that any primates are held in captivity for our amusement at all. 
I just hope he was able to find some joy and some degree of normalcy, even while in a very unnatural, captive environment, and certainly against his will. And a lot of ordinary people who have sympathy for the gorilla and the animal activists as well are taking a lot of heat for expressing their sadness and anger like I am. But it's truly a tragedy and one that should never have happened. Do you think the zoo will create a public memorial in Harambe's honor? Somehow I sort of doubt it. With us now is former L.A. animal cruelty prosecutor Bob Ferber. Hey, Bob. Lori, how are you? Bob, two things I want to know from you. Should the mother be prosecuted for child neglect and is the zoo liable at all? When you ask that question, it involves two different areas of law. It's important for your listeners to realize that we have criminal laws where you can go to jail or get a fine, and then civil laws where people sue each other for money. So now, civilly, when you ask the question, is the zoo liable? Potentially, yes. In fact, I personally feel that they're very liable. If I was the mother of the child, I would be filing a lawsuit against the zoo for totally inadequate fencing and restraints and and security to keep visitors from accidentally or intentionally going into uh, the area where the gorilla was. On the other side, by the way, the zoo could sue the mother saying that because of the loss of the gorilla and all the expenses and the bad publicity and everything, they could sue saying that they lost all this money and other stuff because of the mother's neglect and failure to supervise her child. So there's a potential of a lawsuit between the two of them. Typically what would happen is the mother would sue through a lawyer and then the zoo would counter sue saying, no, 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 it's not our fault, it's your fault. And that would be for something for a judge or a jury to decide. All we're talking about right now is money. And you'll notice that I made no mention of animal cruelty. Talking with Bob Ferber about the legal aspects surrounding the case of the gorilla being shot and killed in order to save the little boy at the exhibit at the Cincinnati Zoo. You're listening to Animals Today. Don't go away. This is Dr. Lori Kirshner from Animals Today, and this is your Animals Today Minute for today. It's kitten season, and you may come across a litter of young kittens. Your first reaction will be to rescue them, thinking they've been abandoned. Stop. It's much more likely that the mother is off hunting for food or looking for a safer place to nest, or was just frightened by you. If the kittens are clearly not in distress and the nest is not in danger, leave them alone, for the mother will likely return. But check again in a couple of hours, and if they're still there, then please, yes, rescue them. If you need advice, call Forever Meow at 888-889-0345, extension 8. This is Dr. Lori Kirshner, and that was your Animals Today Minute for the day. If you're like most people, you have lots of plans. A financial plan, an exercise plan, a career plan. You also need a plan for the care of your pets when you no longer can provide it. Every day, animals are sent to shelters, terrified and confused, because their owners have become incapacitated or died. Unfortunately, many of them get euthanized. Some people don't give the future a thought. Others assume family members will care for their pets. 
A better way is to name caregivers and provide detailed instructions about your pet's feeding, social, play, and health care needs. But even designated caregivers can't guarantee your pet will join a stable and loving home. Good intentions sometimes take a backseat to life's realities, like a new spouse who doesn't like animals, a sudden desire to travel the world, or the adoptive caregiver's own illness. A legally enforceable pet trust offers the only assurance that your assets will be used as you wish to provide for the comfort and care of your cherished animal companions. Almost every state recognizes pet trusts. Find out how to create one today and take steps to make sure your pet doesn't risk becoming yet another sad shelter statistic. Plan for your pet's lifelong well-being. This message is brought to you by Advancing the Interests of Animals. That's AIAnimals.org. That's AIAnimals.org. Hi, I'm Lisa Gibbons. I lost my mom to Alzheimer's disease. Alzheimer's is a brutal reality for more than 5 million Americans. No one knows that better than their caregivers and families who suffer too. Research is needed to find treatments and cures faster. You can help fight Alzheimer's disease by visiting brainhealthregistry.org. Brain Health Registry collects vital research information online for free. So do your part. I'm doing mine. Help find Alzheimer's cures faster by visiting brainhealthregistry.org. Hello, I'm Jerry Mathers. I was the beaver in Leave it to Beaver. When I played the beaver on TV, I often got into trouble without even meaning to. Well, years later, after I left Hollywood, I got into real trouble. My blood sugar was through the roof. When I was diagnosed with type 2, I was shocked. Now, the very same natural remedies I use to control my type 2 diabetes are available for you in a super easy program called the Diabetes Solution Kit. If you have diabetes, I urge you to try this step-by-step plan. It has all the natural techniques I used, and it works a lot faster, too. And today, you can try this fast and easy solution without risk. I'm Jerry Mathers, and if I can do it, you can do it, too. If you'd like to normalize your blood sugar and stop taking your diabetes medication completely with your doctor's approval, go to jerrymathers33.com for your free video. That's jerrymathers33.com. Reverse your diabetes in as little as 30 days by going to jerrymathers33.com now. This is Rick Osick, president of Famous Footwear. Our company is working together with the March of Dimes through March for Babies to raise money and awareness about the serious problem of premature birth in the U.S. As a business leader, I know that babies born very sick or too soon cost businesses billions of dollars each year, in addition to the emotional stress on employees and their families. That's why Famous Footwear is committed to raising funds to improve the health of moms and babies everywhere. Won't you please join us in the March for Babies? Start a team today at marchforbabies.org. We're talking about the legal aspects related to the case of the killing of the gorilla at the Cincinnati Zoo. Bob, continue your thoughts. Animal cruelty comes into play within the criminal law field. What criminal laws were broken? Now, if you break it down, the mother... Did she fail to supervise her child to the point where it was criminal neglect? Uh, There's a very strong argument for that. Now, of course, it depends upon an individual district attorney or city attorney to make the decision whether or not they want to file charges. But is it a potential criminal case? I think it definitely is. And the the punishment would be... uh, 
typically it could be a couple of years in jail for failing to supervise your child, just like leaving your child in a hot car or something or letting them wander off and go onto the freeway. Uh, the other part, a criminal part, is the, the impact on the animal. Uh, I think some people would say that this is a stretch, but in talking about the mother and the zoo and the fence and the money, to me, the big issue is that we had an endangered species, a, an incredible animal that by all accounts shouldn't even be in confinement. But in the end, that's the one that suffered the most, the one that got killed. Uh, so I believe that the mother, again, it's a stretch, but I think that she is arguably guilty of animal cruelty in that she did something or failed to do something in this case, which is failed to supervise her child. The child then went through the fence, got in trouble, uh, was in danger, and then caused the zoo to feel obligated to shoot the gorilla. So the gorilla died because of the mother's neglect. The gorilla also died you could say, because the zoo failed to properly create an enclosure that was safe, not just for children, but safe for the gorilla, so that people can't throw things, can't, which if anybody in your audience has seen the photos, not only could any child fall in easily, walk into the enclosure. You could throw things, you could torture the animal, and I see this all the time when I have gone to inspect zoos, where probably the exhibit that gets the most uh, torment, torture by the audience is the, the apes and the chimps, mm. uh, where people try to taunt them, they throw things at them, all of this in some sort of stupid effort to get a response from the gorilla or the chimpanzee. One thing I might add to that is that what will realistically happen, realistically, I don't think anybody's going to file animal cruelty charges, even though if I were in charge and I were king of the world, I would file animal cruelty charges because it was foreseeable that somebody failing, and I would file the charges against both the zoo and the mother. Mm. I really think that both of them, their behavior was despicable. The mother was despicable for allowing a child to wander off um, in, a, in a place where there are dangerous animals that, again, by all accounts, don't even belong in enclosures, much less an enclosure that's almost open to, to people, you know, entering it. And the zoo had a responsibility to care for the gorilla. And because the zoo failed to do that by having, in my mind, a pathetic uh, enclosure, they're also responsible for animal cruelty. Oh, and so if I were the prosecutor, I would be filing charges against both of them. And if I was a civil attorney, I could see a lawsuit between the two of them uh, fighting for money in this case. But in the end, no matter how many lawsuits or any criminal actions there are, one thing will never change, that poor gorilla is dead because of neglect and incompetence among zoo officials and arguably also a very neglectful uh, or distracted mother. And I find it offensive when the mother said, well, act, quote, accidents happen. You know, when your child, two-year-old, runs into the middle of the street and is killed by a car, are you going to say accidents happen? Yeah. And that's essentially what happened here. An unsupervised child that either could have run into a freeway, fallen off a cliff, but in this case, fell into an, uh, an enclosure where there was an endangered animal. 
one of the real problems in holding zoos accountable for neglect of animals is that in most cities in this country, the very same agencies that prosecute are part of the government system that also lets the zoos exist. In L.A., for example, uh, the L.A. Zoo is a, is a branch of L.A. government. The L.A. City Attorney's Office is a branch of the same government. They all work under the mayor. So there's an inherent conflict of interest when government doesn't do what it needs to do to protect animals. The people that are supposed to hold them accountable, unfortunately, are other government people. And I can assure you that if there was a local prosecutor who wanted to go after that zoo, that local pro- where the gorilla died, the local prosecutor wouldn't be allowed to do it because the elected officials would get in the way and say there's no way. You'd be basically prosecuting your brother or sister. And so we, we don't have an effective governmental system to oversee government when it neglects animals, whether it's in an animal shelter, whether it's in a zoo, uh, whether it's a factory farming. This is one of the major reasons why we don't find accountability for cruelty to animals uh, in this country. Bob, what would have happened if the gorilla did kill the boy or hurt the boy badly before the gorilla was able to be shot and killed? Well, then essentially the same thing, but with more serious consequences all around. Uh, Certainly the mother would be able to, would sue not just for emotional distress, but would be able to sue for uh, um, the death of the child. The uh, the zoo, of course, then could uh, could sue, and it would get more serious, saying that because of the mother's neglect, the people at the zoo, the 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 staff, the visitors were so traumatized because of the mother's neglect that this isn't just a minor lawsuit where you know where they were traumatized or not a I don't want to call it a minor lawsuit but they weren't just traumatized by watching an animal killed they were traumatized by a child being killed yeah so in the world we live in where children are considered way more important than animals uh, this would be a multi 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 million dollar lawsuit on both sides and, and criminally you could argue that it was involuntary manslaughter that the zoo was neglectful in protecting people and so they could conceivably be charged with involuntary manslaughter along with neglect of the animal the mother arguably could be charged with involuntary manslaughter uh, because she was neglectful and caring she had a duty to protect her child right. she didn't do it and the child died as a result of that right so both sides could be charged with the death of the child under different theories. Realistically, they probably, that wouldn't have happened if the child had died. Uh, One of the factors that does uh, play into whether a prosecution goes forward is the sympathies, the suffering that's already happened. Uh, I'm sure your listeners have all read of stories of where somebody forgot about a child in a hot car and they honestly, honestly forgot. and, you know, do you prosecute them for that when they've already lost their child? Uh, in most cases, uh, the prosecution is that they've suffered enough. Thank you, Bob, very much. That's interesting. But everyone knows, for me, the biggest issue here is whether zoos should exist at all. You're listening to Animals Today. Don't go away. 
Rita, you look upset. I am, and I'm not sure what to do. My neighbor's dog is tied up outside. He looks very skinny and sick, and I never see food or clean water given to him. You need to report this right away. What do you mean? Well, you should call Animal Services or the police and tell them about the abused and neglected dog. They can help to make sure the dog is properly taken care of. Okay, I can't stand to watch him suffer anymore. What's the number? Even though most of us take good care of our pets, not everyone treats dogs and cats with the care and compassion they need to be safe and healthy. If you see that a dog or cat is not being treated properly, report it to animal services or the police right away. Pets need food and clean water and protection from extreme weather. You can make the difference, and you don't have to give your name. Help stop pet abuse and neglect. Be their voice. Make the call. This message is brought to you by Advancing the Interests of Animals. Visit them at AIanimals.org. That's AIanimals.org. There is no getting around it. The great outdoors isn't so great for your cat. From speeding cars to toxic lawn chemicals, coyotes to cruel humans, cats are no match to the dangers of today's world. The good news is animal behavior experts say cats don't need to go outside to be happy. Your family will be happier and healthier, too, without the ticks, fleas, diseases, and the dead critters the outdoor cats bring their owners. And you will never have to explain to a crying child who or what hurt her pet or why he hasn't come home. Cats can enjoy a happy and safe life indoors. The key is to provide attention, exercise, and a stimulating environment. Play with your cat. It's fun for both of you. You can hide toys around the house, too. Just make sure there can be no detachable parts that can be swallowed. You can protect your cat from becoming a tragic statistic. Tomorrow may be too late. This message is brought to you by Advancing the Interests of Animals. Visit them at www.aianimals.org. That's aianimals.org. I'm Bob DeRigo Jones, and this is Let's Be Fair. Actually, it's our 350th edition of Let's Be Fair. So after more than six years of looking at America's legal system, let's do something a little different. Let's look at the legal situation in another economic power, Japan. The Wall Street Journal reports that Japan is struggling with a very unusual problem. It says, and I quote, its people aren't litigious enough, end of quote. That's right. Some Japanese experts actually think they need more lawsuits. Why? Well, 15 years ago, officials there started using law schools in the United States as a model for educating their lawyers. They were able to recruit more students, but public attitudes on suing one another didn't change. Japanese people like resolving conflicts privately, so now they have a lot of lawyers with nothing to do. Let's be fair. Is that really a problem? Here in the U.S., it was once reported that we have 30 times more lawsuits per person than Japan. Now that's a litigation problem. Learn more. Visit our website at centerforamericatv.org. Thanks for calling Consolidated Credit Counseling Services. Can I help you? I sure hope so. I'm in debt. Is it credit card bills? Yes, I have two credit cards that I'm making minimum payments on and another that I'm behind on. I owe about $5,000. What interest rates are you paying? Between 18 and 22%. At that rate, it'll take over 20 years to pay off. Wow. 20 years? What Consolidated Credit can do is work with your creditors to lower your payments and reduce or even eliminate your interest charges. You should be able to pay everything off in three or four years. What do I have to do? Just give me some details and get ready to celebrate your freedom from debt. We're Consolidated Credit. We're here to give you freedom from debt. Call now for your free consultation. If I had known it was this easy, I would have called years ago. Call 1-800-897-8374. 1-800-897-8374. That's 1-800-897-8374. Consolidated Credit Counseling Services Incorporated, 5701 West Sunlight Boulevard, Fort Lauderdale, Florida, 33313. Not a loan company, licensed by New York Department of Financial Services and by the Vermont Department of Financial Regulation, Maryland DM19, Oregon DM80031. 
Do you hear that ringing? I've heard that ringing in my ears for over 20 years. My doctor said... The ringing and buzzing in your ears is called tinnitus, and you're just going to have to learn to live with it. The constant ringing in my ears is annoying. I've tried everything, and nothing worked. So I invested my own money, met with doctors, specialists, and certified labs. After a decade of research, we've developed Tinoxyl, a prescription-free, 100% natural and effective way to stop the ringing. And better yet, it helps me sleep. Trying to sleep with ringing in my ears is almost impossible. But with Tinoxyl, I started sleeping better in the first couple weeks. I'm so confident that Tinoxyl will help you too that I'm giving the first 100 callers a free 30-day supply. Don't let the ringing in your ears control your life. Call now and get your free 30-day supply. Just pay shipping. Take back control of your life, combat the ringing, and start sleeping again. Try it for free. Call 800-930-1669. That's 800-930-1669. Welcome back to Animals Today. In the Southern California desert area, which happens to be where Animals Today originates, we are fortunate enough to be the home of the desert bighorn sheep who live in the rocky hillsides above the cities of Palm Springs, Rancho Mirage, Palm Desert, and La Quinta. These beautiful, peaceful animals are very shy and prefer to stay away from people and their dogs. Unfortunately, some of the mountainside resorts are encroaching upon their territory and also providing unnatural feeding areas for the herds. A decade ago, the city of Rancho Mirage voluntarily erected a long barrier fence to prevent the bighorn sheep from coming down into their developments onto the streets and onto the golf courses. Now, this has worked beautifully, and Rancho Mirage should be commended for taking a proactive stance to protect the animals from the hazards they face when they leave their natural environment. Regrettably, the story is not so happy in other desert communities. One further to the south and east, called La Quinta, is where the current crisis is and has been occurring. In fact, in the past few weeks, five bighorn lambs have been found dead at resorts in that city. With us now is Amy Byard. She is Associate Director and Biologist at the Bighorn Institute in Palm Desert, California. Welcome to the program, Amy. Thank you very much for having me. Amy, what is the mission of the Bighorn Institute? Uh, Bighorn Institute was founded in 1982, and we are dedicated to the conservation of the world's wild sheep through research and education. And we focus on the endangered peninsular bighorn sheep here in the Coachella Valley. Give us a little history about bighorn sheep coming down into resorts in our local communities over the years. Well, they used to come into Thunderbird Estates in Rancho Mirage clear back in the 50s when that community was built. And that's because it was built into a beautiful alluvial fan, which was bighorn sheep habitat. And so the sheep adapted and they utilized the home areas as part of their food and water resources. But that proved very detrimental to them. And we had a number of urban deaths. And so the city of Rancho Mirage and the wildlife agencies worked together to get a bighorn proof or a bighorn exclusion fence built. It's eight feet high, it's four and a half miles long, and it's been a wonderful recovery tool for that area. And now in La Quinta, there are four golf courses, uh, Tradition, Silver Rock, PGA West, and the Quarry that bighorn sheep have been utilizing as food and water sources since at least 2007. And in 2012, 
ewes and lambs started coming down and also started utilizing these same golf courses. And that's when we really started seeing the problems increase. The sheep are very habituated to the area, uh, to people, and we've had a number of sheep deaths over since 2012, drowning in the canal, eating oleander, hit by car, things like that. So they're dying by drowning or they're being poisoned by the plants or auto accidents, correct? That's correct. Uh, there's the Coachella Canal runs through Silver Rock and PJ West and terminates at Lake Kauia. And we've actually had four animals fall into the canal and drown. And it did, an additional three rams have fallen in and either been rescued or miraculously got out on their own, the cement canal. And we had a ram hit and killed by a car on Jefferson this past year. And a ram ate oleander and died around PJ West um, prior to that. And now we have a lot of sick lambs on the golf courses. And this is a function of, you know, you have these large, unusually large groups of sheep congregating on the golf courses, eating together. So when one gets a snotty nose, they all get a snotty nose. They're all getting sick, things like that. Now, what we don't know is how do the chemicals involved on the golf courses, herbicides, pesticides, things, fertilizers, how are they playing a role? If they're playing a role. Now, just this morning, you and I were talking, and you were telling me that right now, you were getting called that numerous sheep are wandering around the streets of La Quinta. What do they expect you to do? You just can't pick them up and bring them back on the mountain, right? No, that's correct. You know, I think what people are failing to remember is that this is an endangered species. And so we have permits with the wildlife agencies to handle these sheep, but no one else besides cowfish and wildlife is allowed to touch them, basically. And so what happened is yesterday we had two yearling ewes. We got a call that they were clear down on Avenue 52, almost three miles away from the mountain wow. at Monroe, near a community. They got kind of trapped in this little catchment basin area, and there was a low fence there uh, along that riding path, and lots of people stopped, and they were getting stressed out. The sheep jumped the fence and then got onto Avenue 52, but fortunately there was a wonderful group of citizens that got in their cars and just drove very slow with their flashers on and gently just kind of hazed them, you know, at their own pace, sheep's pace, back to Silver Rock to the mountains. And that could have ended so differently. Right. And then today, just an hour ago, there was almost 30 bighorn sheep out on Avenue 52 again. Wow. They came out of Silver Rock and went across four lanes of Avenue 52 over to the citrus, and they were eating grapefruit trees, the grapefruit plants. And another group of people stopped and were able to get them across the road. Um, but really, people need to call us. Uh, call 911. If sheep are in the road, that's a major human safety issue. And last year, you know, when this ram got hit by a car, that woman's airbag is deployed, and that's serious. So a fence or barrier could prevent these unnecessary deaths. And if so, why is there no fence in La Quinta to keep the sheep on the mountains where they belong and where they can thrive anyway when these deaths have been occurring for a number of years? Well, that's a good question. And yes, we believe, based on the Rancho Mirage situation where a fence has been in place now for 14 years successfully, keeping sheep back in their habitat, we believe a fence could prevent these urban-related bighorn deaths. So since August 2012, we've documented at least 12 bighorn deaths 
directly related to the sheep coming down to the La Quinta golf courses. And that includes them drowning in the canal, eating oleander, hit, being hit by a car, and then these, you know, these sick lambs that have died on the golf courses. Uh, that's 12 more sheep than the multi-species plan has permitted to die as a result of these golf courses. As far as why the fence hasn't been built, um, frankly, we believe it's caught up in a political process uh, because there's certainly mitigation in place for areas like Silver Rock uh, that were required to build a fence if sheep came down on their golf course. And now there's a multi-species habitat conservation plan that uh, requires a barrier or a fence to be built if sheep come down. The wildlife agencies have written a letter to La Quinta and to uh, the CVAG requiring a fence to be built or a barrier, and they had two years to do that. The two-year expiration date was February 2016, and they're still studying it. Amy, this is crazy. What do La Quinta City officials say about their inability and unwillingness to erect a fence at this time? Well, they suggest, according to the city manager's recent interview, he suggests the fence could cost $10 million, which is way off base, according to CVEG, and that uh, they don't, he said outright, they will not be building a chain link fence for aesthetic reasons. But other than that, I don't know. They seem, there seems to be a considerable lack of concern for this endangered species in La Quinta. Amy, what can people do to help the bighorn sheep? I think we need to start talking to um, the city of La Quinta. I think people need to call City Hall and ask them why they haven't put up their fence around Silver Rock. I think we need to have people contact CVEG, ask them why this barrier is being held up in environmental review that was not required because the multi-species plan laid it out that it was required, and why they're using stall tactics and how many endangered bighorn have to die before they'll build a barrier. Associate Director and Biologist at the Bighorn Institute in Palm Desert, California, Amy Byer, thank you so much. Thank you. Lori, I have two drink-related items right now for you. The first, I want to remind you about this famous turtle named Peanut. Do you know who Peanut is? Tell me. Peanut was deformed by one of those uh, six-pack rings, one of those plastic things that hold six-packs. And he, about 20 years ago, got hit. It was wrapped around his body, and it caused him to get all deformed. And his shell is like segmented, and it's very narrow in the center. And he was rescued and became like the poster child for dealing with these six-pack rings. Well, 20 years later, and he's had a fine life. He lives in Missouri, and he's doing great. But these rings continue to be a problem, don't they? And uh, we have gotten in the habit of sort of cutting them apart, even though they're supposed to go to landfills and not get into the environment. They, they often do, so we take a little step and make that impossible to happen. And, uh, you know, if you go online and you research about this, there's a lot of naysayers and they say, oh, they degrade in the sun anyway and you're wasting your time, get a life. <laughs> but we do it anyway. And it turns out we're not alone in taking this seriously still because there's a brewery in Florida called Saltwater Brewery and they have invented a new edible and readily degradable six-pack ring technology that are safe for sea life. That is brilliant. And even more so, it's made out of the grains that are left over from their brewing process. 
So it's so a, even people can eat them. If you wanted to, you could munch on that. I guess instead of uh, peanuts at the bar, you could just ask him for the ring and maybe put a little salt on it and see how that works out. Uh, but this sounds like a wonderful uh, technology and uh, marketing plan altogether. Sure so does. Bravo. We'll, and uh, we'll be doing a taste test soon, right, I guess, Lori? Absolutely. Okay. But more delicious, perhaps, and we'll do a taste test of this, is uh, Bailey's, the liqueur Bailey's. You like that, right? Love. Well, well I used to love it. No right. longer because it has cream in it. That's right. It's been a long time since we've consumed anything like that. Well... Hooray, they are about to uh, release a new product which does not have cream, but instead uses almond milk and real vanilla to create a new uh, liqueur called Almond. I think I'm saying that right. And uh, they have decided to jump into the rapidly expanding plant-based food and drink market, which is currently at $3.5 billion a year, and it's growing at 8.7% annually, which is incredible. So thank you, Bailey's. We will dutifully report our taste test very soon. Maybe we'll do an on-air tasting. That should be fun. Oh, that would be so much fun. Okay. We'll taste the Bailey's. We'll taste the plastic rings. We'll <laughs> <Okay>. ta- <laughs> That's right. And we'll just report. This is Dr. Lori Kirshner. You're listening to Animals Today. You know, Animals Today is a project of advancing the interest of animals. Advancing the interest of animals is a nonprofit animal welfare organization. We're based here in Palm Springs, California. And if you like what we're doing, please consider donating a little bit to Advancing the Interests of Animals to support the continued production of the show. The website's aianimals.org. That's aianimals.org. This is Rick Osick, president of Famous Footwear. Our company is working together with the March of Dimes through March for Babies to raise money and awareness about the serious problem of premature birth in the U.S. As a business leader, I know that babies born very sick or too soon cost businesses billions of dollars each year, in addition to the emotional stress on employees and their families. That's why Famous Footwear is committed to raising funds to improve the health of moms and babies everywhere. Won't you please join us in the March for Babies? Start a team today at marchforbabies.org. This report is brought to you by Mayflower. Millennials are being lured by major cities, but what will attract them to your city? The 2016 Mayflower Mover Insights study discovered where and why millennials are moving. With one in five millennials moving in the past year, these insights may be the difference between your city seeing the headlights or taillights of a Mayflower moving truck. Of millennials who have moved, nearly half identified love as a reason for moving. Millennials identified experiences as important for relocating, with food and restaurants as a top priority. Millennials continue to be enamored by urban centers, with nearly 6 in 10 wanting to live in or near a big city. Melissa Sullivan, Director of Marketing, Mayflower. Our Mayflower agents across the country are moving millennials as they begin new chapters of their lives, and many agents report new careers, relationships, and experiences as drivers of this generation's moves. Findings from our study help us analyze where our customers move and why they are moving. For moving tips, visit Mayflower.com. I'm Bob Dorigo Jones, and this is Let's Be Fair. A monkey, an animal rights organization, and a primatologist walk into a federal court to sue for infringement of the monkey's claimed copyright. Sounds like a joke, right? But it's actually a line from a real court document filed by a lawyer for a photographer who was sued last year by the group People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals. 
To make a long story short, a monkey in Indonesia took a picture of himself using a camera that a nature photographer had left unattended. It was hilarious, and the monkey's selfie went viral. Unfortunately, that's when the real monkey business started, and PETA sued the photographer. It claimed that the monkey, not him, should get any money generated by the photo. Let's be fair. I know our legal system sometimes seems like it's gone bananas, but I'm happy to say that a federal judge has just issued a tentative ruling upholding common sense. He says that a monkey can't own a copyright. PETA, however, pledges to keep fighting. Learn more. Visit our website at centerforamericatv.org. Hello, I'm Linda Gray, and I lost my mother and a dear friend to Alzheimer's disease. Nearly two-thirds of the five and a half million Americans suffering from Alzheimer's are women. Join the fight to help find treatments and cures for Alzheimer's faster by registering at brainhealthregistry.org. We collect vital research information online for free. Please do your part. I'm doing mine. Brainhealthregistry.org. Welcome back to the show. In San Bernardino County, the biggest county in California, a new animal cruelty prosecution unit has just been formed and announced, and I'm very pleased to welcome District Attorney Mike Ramos to the show. Welcome. Thank you for having me. Thank you very much. Okay, so why don't we just start by asking you to describe what this unit is? Yeah, you know, it, it's a it's a unit that uh, started really with the passion of one of my prosecutors, Deputy District Attorney Debbie Plughouse. And uh, in 2008, we had a case here uh, in a company based in Chino, California. It was a slaughterhouse. And mm-hmm. you know, just what they were doing to these these sickly cows and dragging them and, and just uh, it was just a terrible, terrible um, cruelty uh, that was going on with these these animals that were going to be slaughtered for human consumption. But uh, that opened my eyes as a district attorney of, you know, we need to do a better job of protecting uh, our animals yeah. in, in uh, San Bernardino County and the state of California and the nation for that matter. Yes. So that's how it all started. And uh, did that lead to the Animal Cruelty Task Force formation? Yes, absolutely. So right after that, I had another staff member, Claudia Swing, who put together in 2012 the Animal Cruelty Task Force. And that task force uh, uh, is put together um, with the city and county animal control agencies, law enforcement, Humane Society of San Bernardino, our office, of course, our investigators, uh, domestic violence agencies, and um, other law enforcement. And it's grown. We have 25-plus participating agencies uh, from multiple counties. And I'm proud to say we're a model. And uh, I'd like to use this model for, for the entire country, really. Well, you bet. Uh, there are still a lot of areas I could uh, learn a lot from what you're doing there. Uh, yes. Yeah. Um, Mike, besides just the cruelty to the animals that you described yeah. at the onset, of course, that's there. There's this. Of course, there's a connection between the uh, interpersonal violence and animal cruelty. Sure. Our listeners are quite aware of this. Uh, give us your uh, view on that. 
Yeah, we've got so many links between various other crimes, you know, and and I'll start with, you know, the links to to gangs and uh, human trafficking when you when they're involved with cockfighting rings and dogfighting and criminal street gangs are now getting into this area. And at the same time, they're using this to, you know, sell drugs, to um, uh, have people there that they're trafficking for sex, all under this whole, you know, illegal uh, dogfighting cockfighting rings, etc. And then there's the other link that uh, really concerns me, and that's the link between animal cruelty and family violence, domestic violence and, you know, uh, crimes against children. And we we see it, you know. Um, You know when there's a household with those dynamics that... It, it starts with um, some times abusing animals, and we've had a case like that in our county where, you know, the defendant uh, who started in uh, abusing the family dog in front of his wife and his four children, uh, brutally um, uh, killing the dog, yes. uh, he was found guilty, but he was sentenced to 30 days in county jail, and two years later, um, he ends up killing his wife mm. by strangling her. Yeah. Um, so it's a, it's a dynamic that we really need to, to become aware of across the country as district attorneys that, that animal abuse goes hand in hand with family violence. So consequently, the new uh, prosecution unit is formed. Uh, tell us about that and how did you put that together? Yeah. Yeah, I'm so proud of uh, finally being able to put this together. You know, we go through tough budget times, but, you know, I have this passionate attorney, uh, and uh, this is her whole job now. And But importantly, as important, I needed a, a district attorney investigator. I was finally to assist her with that so we can investigate the cases ourselves because law enforcement, uh, they're so busy with, you know, the day-to-day criminal activity. And so we have a chief deputy that oversees that unit. We have regional deputy district attorneys. As you indicated, I have one of the largest geographical counties in America. So each of my offices have a, has a deputy district attorney that's assigned to animal abuse and uh, even one in our juvenile division. So when we have those cases uh, committed by juveniles and then a senior investigator overseeing our investigation. So it's a, a, a model program that I'm proud of. Uh, we are now, um, the cases are starting to come in left and right. Mm-hmm. Uh, with uh, citizens calling in and we are going out in the community we're investigating and we're going to hold people responsible for for hurting our animals our pets i mean you think about it if we're going to have a just society a humane society then we need to treat all all people alike as well as our animals Uh, mike are the courts and particularly the judges are they ready to handle these cases in a way that you uh would think would be adequate yeah yeah, you know, I, I'm very fortunate as district attorney in San Bernardino County, and I have a great relationship with our bench, with our judges. And, um, you know, they, they are holding people responsible. I, I truly believe, especially when we get into the area of, of felony uh, conduct, uh, that our judges do support this. Um, and, of course, they will uh, apply due process and, you know, the rights of everybody, even in the, the accused, and I believe in that too. But when the time comes and we get a guilty conviction, they will be held responsible and sentenced appropriately. I don't think we're going to have any problems with that. In the county, 
Do you have safe houses so uh, family domestic violence uh, situations can be diffused? And uh, is there a place to bring yeah. the animals in those situations? These are tough, That's tough to That's a put great together. question. And, you know, I just discovered this. I'm learning every day, too. You know, you never stop learning. And we have one of our domestic violence shelters in one part of our county that allows the pets to come with those that are, uh, are being abused criminally um, through violence, domestic violence. That should be everywhere. I I truly believe that. I mean, you've got, for example, I'll just analogize. You've got nice apartments and complexes and where you can have your animals there. Then why shouldn't you have them in a place where family members are being abused and those same pets are being abused as well? So I've had that discussion with the owner of that domestic violence um, housing complex, and uh, that's going to be one of my next steps. I'm glad you asked that question. Well, I'll tell you, the community would really support that one. Uh, That's for sure. Uh, Mike Ramos, I want to thank you. San Bernardino County District Attorney, congratulations, and we look forward to all the great stuff you're doing. Thank you very much. I look forward to hopefully uh, moving this across the state of California. And thank you for tuning in to Animals Today. This is Dr. Lori Kirshner encouraging you to nurture your love and compassion for the only other beings sharing our planet, the animals. For the past quarter century, International Society for Animal Rights has fought the battle against dog and cat overpopulation. Its programs include reducing income taxes by allowing a deduction for spay and neuter expenses, preventing animals adopted from shelters from reproducing, and requiring the mandatory identification of dogs and cats to prevent dumping the unwanted. For a list of all ISAR overpopulation programs, please see their website at www.isaronline.org. It's Dr. Lori from Animals Today Radio, and today's Animals Today fun facts are about octopuses. Did you know the oldest octopus fossil was from an animal that lived 296 million years ago? And you can see that fossil at the Field Museum in Chicago. Octopuses have three hearts, one of which supplies blood to the organs, and the other two work to supply the gills. And their blood is a blue color, which transports oxygen better at cold temperatures and in low oxygen waters. And there are your Animals Today fun facts for today.